2: The
3: History of Fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear.
2: We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan. And Cassidy Zachary. So dress listeners like myself, many of you might be familiar with the recent and widely publicized collaboration between fashion designer Greg Lauren and 14 quilt makers from the community of Boykin, Alabama, better known as G's Bend. Lauren fashioned 96 garments out of 270 panels created by hand by the G's Bend quilters. But this high profile collaboration is only the latest to recognize and celebrate the artistry of the famed cultural bearers of G's Bend quilt making tradition.
3: Yes, and this year marks 20 years since Houston Museum of Fine Art's 2002 landmark exhibition, The Quilts of Gee's Bend, which was instrumental in bringing international recognition to Gee's Bend living textile heritage, you know, directly challenging the artistic canon by elevating the quilt-making craft to the place of fine art. And fast forward to today, Gee's Bend quilts are found in permanent collections of over 20 leading museums and also have been the subject of numerous subsequent exhibitions. They are also highly sought after collector's items, with many of the quilt makers themselves being represented by galleries all around the world.
2: Yeah, and perhaps no organization, however, has done more to promote the G's Bend Quilters than the nonprofit Souls Grown Deep, which is dedicated to documenting, preserving, and promoting Black artists from the South. And they have done incredible work advocating for these artists' rightful recognition and inclusion in the contemporary and historical canon of American art. While helping to place these artists' work in museum collections around the world, the organization itself has America's largest and foremost collection of their work, which includes some 1,000 works of art by 160 artists, two thirds of which April are women, and several of those women are the prize quilters of Gee's Bend. Yes, and Souls
3: Grown Deep provides us with a concise history of quilting in this remote Alabama community, which traces its lineage back to the early 19th century. Um, The provenance of the enslaved men and women brought to the area to work on Joseph Gee's cotton plantation. In the post-Civil War era, these same individuals and their descendants became sharecroppers who worked on the plantation. But the 1930s brought a turn in fortune for the residents of Gee's Bend.
2: Yeah, so like so many places around the world, the Great Depression threatened G's Bend residents with economic ruin, but actually the federal government stepped in and purchased the 10,000 acres that encompassed the former plantation, and they actually gave the local residents loans that allowed them to purchase the land outright for themselves And as Souls Grown Deep tells us, quote, unlike the residents of other tenant communities who could be forced by economic circumstances to move or who were sometimes evicted in retaliation for their efforts to achieve civil rights, the people of the Bend could retain their land and homes and cultural traditions like quilt making were nourished by these continuities. This nourishment
3: was provided by generations of Gee's Bend women determined to keep their textile heritage alive, and that includes the women of the Petway family. Candace Petway led community quilting sewing circles in her front yard, while her daughter Quany Petway worked for the Freedom Quilting Bee, an artistic workers' cooperative founded during the civil rights era that fostered both economic and political empowerment. Today, the Petway quilt making tradition is carried on by Candace's granddaughter and Quentin's daughter, Loretta Petway Bennett. And we are so pleased to have her join us on the show today. Loretta, a very, very warm welcome.
2: Loretta, welcome. How are you today?
1: I'm great. Thank you. How are you?
2: I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to talk to you today.
1: Yeah, same here. Same here. <laughs>
2: Um, I've read so much about you, so many wonderful things. I'm so excited to introduce our listeners to your work, um, but also your journey to quilt making. And I'd love if we could kind of just start at the beginning, maybe hear a little bit about what it was like for you growing up in G's Bend. And maybe if you have an earliest memory of textiles or dress from your childhood that you'd like to share with us.
1: Oh, oh, growing up in G's Bend, uh, (laughs) it was a lot of fun for me, you know, and also a lot of hard work too growing up on a farm. But the fun part of it was uh, being free, you know, free to explore as children are not so free today. You know, we, we had the whole farm as a playground and uh and we had to make our own toys and and you know keep ourselves entertained, you know, also. But being with being on a farm, it was a lot of hard work too. you know you had to do certain things to, to keep the farm going, feeding chickens and pigs and cows and and gardening and 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 other crops that we that you know that we grew but it it was all of my memories are good memories <laughs> so far <laughs> i
2: I love that I love that you said that the farm was really your playground. So you just basically grew up outside and in nature?
1: Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, big playground. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and how did you learn how to sew? Or do you have any earliest memories of sewing or quilting?
1: Well, my earliest memories, I would have to say, is being a young child, and needles from my mother and her mother and their sewing circles. And and just trying to be like them when they uh they were piecing quilts, they you know, they would discard some on the pieces that they wasn't used in on the floor. And uh we got to practice uh with that. Sometimes when you you're when they wanted you close by and to help, you know, keep the needle straight. So we had to kind of keep make fun for ourselves there, you know, and we and we pretended to to sew like they did. uh so that's one of the earliest memories that I can have playing underneath the quilt at their feet.
2: (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) And do you have a memory of the first quilt you made?
1: Yes. um, So one summer I decided I would uh, make my first quilt. And I'm not sure if I cut the pieces out. I can't remember if my mom did it, but I remember it was uh, a very popular quilt at the time, which was a flower garden. And it had like six shapes on it you know an octagon shape so that summer I think I'm maybe 12 or 13 I decided I would make this quilt and I sold on it every day by hand because we wasn't allowed to use the sewing machine was only one sewing machine so that was a (laughs) (laughs) no-no and um anyway I sold the whole summer of course after everything was done on the farm at a certain point during the summer where you couldn't, you know, you didn't do anything in the fields. So we, we piece quilt. So, and that's what I did. I made this quilt every day except for one day of the week. And it came out all kind of lopsided. If you ever see a, a flower garden, it's one of the hardest quilt for uh, for a teenager, especially <laughs> in his parents. A uh, sword to try her hand at, and so. But anyway, it came out, and my mom kind of straightened it up, and and she quilted it. But uh, she gave it to my brother, and sad to say that he he misplaced it somewhere. Oh no! You know, doing moves and, stuff and so. And you know, I never made another one, but I I've since um. Going through some of my mom's things, there's a flower garden in there that is not completed. So I'm planning on completing it. So, (laughs) yeah. I
2: also love that you were creating what you call baby quilts in your home economics classes. Can you tell us what baby quilts are? Because I think these are pretty wonderful as well.
1: Well, this was a a quilt that, I'm a teacher, wanted to make for a first grandchild. And it was a pattern kind of type quilt. It was a quilt that had, you made the little clothing to put on, you applicated that onto the quilt, you know, on on a piece. And it was quilts hanging out on a clothesline, so... I think it was five or six of us girls from G's Ben at the time, because we were buffed into a little a town at the time. And so, and for some reason, I don't know, maybe she knew about the quilts. I'm quite sure with the Freedom Quilting piece at the time. And we were giving that a sign to finish that. Anyway, the quilt had little, overalls on it a little short overalls a little t-shirt and little bird and socks and a sock and a cloud on it I was uh given the assignment of ensuring that the quilt got quilted and I took it home during the winter break the Christmas break and me and my mom did the quilting on it and so I had I also had the pattern also I didn't have the task of putting a name on it because you get, after the baby's born, you, you know, you uh, embroidery the name on the corduroy, the date of birth and the weight. But anyway, I kept a pattern of that quilt. And I have been making little baby quilts like that to give to my friends. I also made them for my babies. <laughs> and so I've been making them since the 10th grade. Wow. Over 40 something years now. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, it's so special. That's such a wonderful sentiment and something to keep and pass on as well.
1: Yes, yes.
2: So you've mentioned your mom and quilting with your mom a couple different times. As our listeners will know from your introduction, you've come from a long line of quilt makers in G's Bend. You learn from your mother who learned from her mother before her and so on. Can you talk a little bit to us about the quilt making tradition in your family and in your community?
1: Well, I'm, you know, with most skills or craft that uh, one may have in their in their family history. So that's what my mom did. It was passed on from grandmother to mother to daughters, you know, and so on and so on. I wouldn't say it was expected of us to learn, but it was just one of the things that we, we learned uh, growing up in G-Spin. It was just passed on. And it was a way of teaching us how to have some covering when we did leave the house or leave, you know, got married and moved on. So we had to learn how to. They wanted to make sure we knew how to sew, how to make quilts, and you know, some of us did learn. Some of us learned and did not keep it up. Same with some, even some of the boys. They they had to learn how to do a, a basic sewing and and knew how to cook and and clean and whatnot. And so it was with the girls sewing. It was just something that was, you know, was passed on because the houses wasn't that in great repairs. Coming from a poor area, you know, the ha- houses was, uh, like I said, very poorly made. And that was one thing to keep us warm, even though, you know, as time went on, you know, houses got better. But we still made quilts. It was still something to give to ones for babies, graduation. or when someone got married or went off to college, uh, it was just like sending them away with a piece of um, a piece of family, really, (laughs) Uh, to keep them warm, even though, you know, their places may be better suited that they wouldn't need, uh, you know, covering like a quilt.
2: And can you talk to us a little bit about quilt making and the process because you've mentioned piecing and also patterning? I'm just curious if there's a difference between different types of quilts that you might be able to illuminate for us for those of us who don't know.
1: There are or when you're piecing a quilt, that's just like making the top part, the part that you can see. You can use a pattern we show uh, things like house tops, brick layers or wedding rings, double wedding rings, uh, bear paws and, and coat of colors. So those are patterns. You already know what they're going to look like. You already know the shape that they're going to be. But when it comes to just piecing like the G's being away, you kind of make, you make your own pattern. You don't kind of, you, you do make your own pattern, so to speak. You're just sewing and putting things together and you are using what you got. Uh, you have to remember that my mother and her mother they wasn't they wasn't able to buy material, so they had to use clothing so if you had to pay a pair of denim or corduroy piece, so you put that together, and you may not have had enough to make just say a double wedding ring. you may have thought it out trying to make something like that or a housetop. But then it turned into something totally different because you had to to start using something else to to make it. But a quilt is the part that you see, that's the quilt top. And then the part that's in between is the batting. And the back part is the backing. I kind of liken it to a sandwich where you put all three layers together and then, <laughs> and then what you do—the quilting party where you sew all three parts together—and you come out with a quilt. And most of the quilters, I, um, I would have to say that sometimes the pieces itself made itself. Sometimes you saw what was familiar with you. Like there's a quilt called a um, hawk and a pen. So it, it's it's kind of like just what it sounds like—a hawk and a pen. <laughs> <laughs> and also a housetop, or brick layers or a lazy gal, uh, so or a log cabin. So it's they made things that were familiar to them, and they used what they, you know, what they had at hand.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned piecework is really something that G's Bend quilters are really known for, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more because the quilts that are associated with Gee's Benz are just these incredible visceral creations that are just so wonderful in so many different ways. I'd love if you can just talk to us a little bit more about maybe some of your world traveling adventures and a little bit about your journey
1: on your way to quilt making. Well, I got married at uh, 18. My husband was uh, in the army and so he was, uh, got stationed over in Germany. You know, I had made a couple of quilts before I left and they were just simple little corduroy quilts that my mom worked at the Freedom Quilting Bee. And so they would sell leftover pieces of corduroy because they made the the pillows for Sears and robots and like a pillow casing. And so I made a couple of those because I knew I a- was going over to Germany and it was, it was very cold over there. I'd never seen so much snow in my life. I have to remember coming from South Alabama, right. it, it didn't, <laughs> it didn't snow. I can't, <laughs> I cannot remember it snowing maybe once or twice and it wasn't, and it didn't last long. I made a couple of quilts to take with me, you know, it was kind of funny thinking back on this. Um, Not thinking that the Germans may not have anything to cover you up with, which I knew they they did. But anyway, I wanted to take, you know, take those with me. Like I said, I'd never seen so much snow in my life. And it was colder than I had ever experienced. Uh, Even with the houses being so drafty, it was still a, a coldness that I had never experienced. And so getting over there, and the first opportunity I got to buy some material, I wanted to make a quilt. <laughs> Somehow like that was going to keep me from It was just, I guess, something in my genes that, uh, that made me want to, to make a quilt. Maybe it was lonely for one thing. It passed the time. Uh, it kept me busy, kept my mind busy. Uh, being that far away from home and not so many American, you know, English speaking Americans there in the town that I was in. And so you may hear that quilting is and making quilt is like a therapy. And it is therapy. It give you a peace of mind and kind of make you um, bring you close to family. For me, it did, and that was the closest thing that I can get to home, you know, being that far, so many miles away and all the way over the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, you know, so so I found myself making quilts, you know, and the Germans didn't have, um, you know, they didn't make quilts, they, you know, they had to do whatever they call them, those big comforter type quilts. Uh, And so it wasn't a lot of colors, you know, that they used. It was either just a white or just a plain color. So, and going back to, you know, growing up, uh, um, they didn't have a lot of colors also, but whatever color that they did have, they, you know, they put it in there, maybe a spot here and there. So that got my mind to wanting to make something bright and color. So I made a flower garden and it was a lot of colors. And it kind of reminded me of, I guess, the window flower basket or pots that the German had on their windows of the different color pansies. So the flower garden that I made, you know, with the different pinks and and blues and greens and yellows and purple type things. So anyway, I still have that quilt. <laughs> and i <I'm, laughs> and my mom she actually quilted it. And so anyway, I'm gonna have to redo it because it's, it's she put that um the cotton that we get out of the field where you had to have to kind of beat it to fluff it up. Uh, she was. They were still getting caught kind of like that. They wasn't using the batting or, or the cold type filling that you can put inside. So anyway, <laughs> that was the one quilt that I made.
2: <laughs> didn't your quilts catch the attention of your German neighbors? Because, like you said, they didn't really—they never really seen anything like this before. <laughs> uh,
1: yes, yes, uh huh. And so, and my mom sent me some because some of the my neighbors wanted to wanted to know how to buy one of those quilts. So uh, she sent me several boxes of them and I sold several boxes of her quilts. Uh, uh, The colors and and the pattern of them that caught their attention and they, they wanted to purchase, you know, buy some of them. I love
2: that story. And like I said, I loved learning about your times overseas. You were in Germany quite, I think you moved back to the U.S. and back to Germany, but you were in Germany or yourself and your family when the Berlin Wall was torn down and um, when Germany
1: was reunited. Do you remember what that was like? Ah, (laughs) It was, uh, it was a lot of excitement going on. Um, Yeah, it it was really exciting at the time. You know, it was just, just amazing to be, be, be there and to be a part of that time in history, you know, making, you know, we were so close, even though I didn't get, get to go over there to Berlin. But my husband, he did. He, he got a chance to travel, travel over there. I think he traveled before the Berlin Wall was torn down. Uh, he got a chance to go over there. But after it came down, it was just so much, yeah. <laughs> so so excited. <laughs> yeah,
2: I'd love if you could talk to us a little bit about after living abroad and across America for 20 years, because you and your family finally made your way back to Alabama and really to quilt making. And I'd love if you can talk about what motivated you to pick up quilt making again in the early 2000s.
1: I applied for a grant, an apprenticeship grant, to learn how to make the state quilt. That was the burrow. So I got my mom to teach me how to do that. And at that same time, this art collector from Atlanta, he was down and uh, he was putting together this this big exhibition, you know, that we going to be opening in uh, Houston, Texas. And, you know, it was a lot of excitement going on in G's being, And I was like, uh, you know, I really didn't think a whole too much about that. You know, I was like, oh, you know, people had came down and, and said they were going to do all this. They had bought Quill before and nothing ever came of it. And, but after going to Houston in 2002, being my whole family, all I have three boys. And my husband, and so we flew down to Houston to see the exhibition, and I—it was mind blowing. I tell you, uh, just seeing the quilts hanging on the walls—it's—it's it's a different seeing them on a bed, but when you see them on a hanging on the wall, it was like looking at them for the first time in a different light. They they looked beautiful, but still, looking at them, I could see what the people were seeing. You know, all the people that was coming, looking at them, and you saw people crying. And uh, so, a lot of us uh, of the quilters, especially the older one, we they were confused as to why all of this excitement about these old quilts. And it wasn't pretty quilts that we used to, you know, we were saying, all these ugly quilts, why are they why are they making such a fuss? Uh, <laughs> after I left that show, you know, I got to thinking about after I got back and got settled and um, just thinking about the trip itself and the, and the women's and how they was so honored and appreciated for making these quilts, these works, so of fact right, that they was calling them. It took me a year or two before I really got back into sewing, you know, really sewing quilts. But anyway, I finally started going to a couple of the quilts exhibitions and I kept seeing all the people reaction to these quilts, all these articles and, and seeing the quilts in magazines and, you know, seeing the people standing in line to get their book autographed. And it got me to thinking, you know, oh, you know, I'm from G's then. You know, I I wondered, did I have it in me to make anything like that? And uh, so I started just using just like what the women had. You know, I started using uh, clothes that are overgrown. You know, we are outgrown. Things that I found in the strip store that I like. And I thought would look good in a quilt, and so that's what motivated me to really get back into sewing. And I and I just started sewing up everything, you know, just about everything in the house. <laughs> that, oh they- <laughs> uh, yeah. So you know, and there was a pair of pants my uh, my youngest son had, and I just tried to get it because they had a hole in it, perfect hole in the knee, and all of this. And and uh, so and that's what really motivated me. Back to someone after seeing all the reaction, you know, people's in the museums and all the wonderful articles <laughs> that was written about them.
3: Dress listeners, we often refer to ourselves on the show as dress detectives. But what if we told you that you could travel back in time and solve your own fashionable mysteries? Because you can
2: You will sleuth with June in the antique parlors of New York, the chic sidewalks of
3: Paris, and you can even build your own luxury island estate where you get to decorate and plant
2: decadent gardens. And there's also a chat and challenge feature where you can play alongside friends. So join us dress listeners in putting on your detective hats and escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. For limited time dress listeners, you can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com forward slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com forward slash today.
0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, And high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today.
2: And fast forward 20 years, it's now 2022, your quilts are highly sought after collector's items. They're in museum exhibitions. You're represented by gallery. Your quilts, I have so many wonderful things to say about them. I mean, they're so playful. Um, they spark joy in so many ways. I would love if you could just tell us a little bit about your style and maybe what inspires you.
1: Well, um, <laughs> my quilts are, are, are kind of bold and, and and just bigger, big, the blocks of, of, of big, that's. And you mentioned playfulness. I got this mm, kind of joking thing about me. Before making quilts, my my personality was, I was very shy. You know, I will be in the background and still like to be in the background. But I noticed when I started making quilts that I, uh, (laughs) I have a personality, a joking personality that like to have a lot of fun and, and and especially with colors. And I like to get people looking at my quilts. I like for them to not just look in one spot. I just try to look all over, you know, because um, it's just a playfulness that I like for a person to look at it and have fun and not feel so sad about, you know, uh, uh, some quilts. Not all, all quilts, but some quilts, you know, there's a, uh, there's a sadness about them. And because uh, all quilts have stories, some, you know, and maybe because they lost someone, maybe there's a, uh, a baby being born or someone got married or graduated from high school. But when making my quilts, I like for you to have fun and joy and laughter when you see them. Uh, like, you know, like for you to see not only warmth in them, but warming to your heart, to your eyes. Just warming to your to your body, you know. Just a plumful thing. So anyway.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah so I mean and that's exactly what your quilts do just looking at them it's just it, they're so beautiful they're so vibrant you have this quilt called pink which is exactly what it sounds like all these different patchworks of pink um that are wonderful and then one of my other favorite quilts are your work clothes strips quilts and you kind of talked a little bit about that with your son's jeans but I'd love if you can talk just a little bit about how you use clothing scraps to kind of create something new and beautiful
1: uh-huh. yeah with the Clothing or the denim pant flag I, I I like for you to see that there are clothing it, it's something that someone wore, someone loved, and something that you can still use i I say that um with using a quilt you can use just about anything from just say clothing, and if it's big enough to cut it's big enough to sew. <laughs> And um quilts making them out of clothing and letting them make themselves and letting people see the love in them. And you make it with love. And I think that a transfer to the person that's looking at it or being under it as being, you know, from love, made with love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and
2: I mean they're just all such a beautiful reminder of that, because especially we live in this world of fast fashion today and people are, are disconnected from clothing and textiles. And these quilts are a reminder about that significance and the meaning of, of those textiles in our lives. And they're just so wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. And um, just in closing, I'm just wondering what this experience has been like for you. Um, as I mentioned, you're a sought-after collector. You're represented in various galleries. You've been in various museum exhibitions alongside the work of your mother, uh, your grandmother. Um, there's been worldwide attention brought to Gee's Ben's quilts and its community. And I'm just wondering what that's been like with you. It's, has it changed your relationship or your view of quilting?
1: No, it has not changed. I'm still proud to have been raised, born and raised in Gee's Ben, and to come from such a long line of uh, quilt makers. And it means a lot to see, you know, that people feel appreciate quilts. Uh, They appreciate the craft, the hobby, the creativity, you know, in them. And and I just wish that it continued to be passed on, you know, from one generation to the next. And I think it will. As long as I think clothing is, you know, people make clothing, you know, designers, I think they're going to always be someone making quilts. Uh, you know I think it'll never die and I hope it never dies and I hope that we continue to pass if not through my line uh, at least through others that are being touched by our quilts I hope it continues
2: Absolutely, I think it absolutely will, especially with just the the example that yourself and your fellow G Bend quilters have set and shown, and again, just such a wonderful reminder to us all about the power and the meaning of, of textiles. So, thank you so much, Loretta. This has been such a pleasure speaking with you.
1: Oh, thank you. Uh, I really appreciate being on. And um, one other thing, I like to say in clothing, I always thought to be an artist, you had to be a painter. (laughs) And there's a quote that I saw mm, almost, I guess, about 15, 16 years ago, where this art, uh, I think he was an artist also, Edgar Degas, he said, art is not what you see, but what you make others see. And I really (laughs) see that now, you know. Sometimes we, me being a quilter, I, I, you know, I was just a quilter. And, but uh, as I can see, you know, art come in many forms.
2: Absolutely. And thank you so much for sharing your art with us.
1: (laughs) Thank you for having me.
2: Thank you so much for joining us, Loretta.
3: Dress listeners, we encourage you to head over to Souls Grown Deep, where you can find Loretta's profile and numerous examples of her and her fellow G's Ben Quilter's incredible work. And of course, we will be sharing images of her work on our Instagram feed this week, which is at dressed underscore podcast.
2: Yeah, and we'll of course provide links to Soul's Grown Deep's website. And a very special thank you to Scott Browning, who's the Director of Collections at the organization. It was he who connected me with Loretta. And I highly encourage everyone to learn more about this wonderful organization and their many community-focused initiatives, including the recent partnership with a Black-owned ethical, sustainable lifestyle apparel company named Pashko, founded by Patrick Robinson. As part of the Pashko's community-made initiative and with Soul Grown Deep's support, and investment the company has established one of its clothing production hubs or what they call a quote-unquote maker sewing pod in g's bin so not only can you buy g's bin quilts dress listeners you can buy g's bin made clothes as well
3: yes and that's so cool i'm definitely gonna be checking that out that does it for us today dress listeners may you consider the fabric of life next time you get dressed As always, we love hearing from you. So if you would like to write to us, you can email us at dress at iheartmedia.com. You can also DM us on Instagram at dress underscore podcast, where you will find images accompanying each week's episodes. You can also follow us on Facebook at dress podcast without the underscore. And if you have a moment and you would like to take the time to rate and review us on your podcast listening platform of choice, we always appreciate your support.
2: And as always, special thanks to our producers, Casey Pagram, Holly Fry, and everyone else at iHeartRadio who makes this show possible each and every week. More Dress coming your way Thursday. (music) Dress the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.
0: Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra-low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra-low net carb bread.